I'd get closer, so I walked on over, sat down and asked her name. When the drinks finally hit her, she said, I'm no quitter, but I finally quit living on dreams. I'm hungry for laughter and here ever after, I'm after whatever the other life brings. Down under greetings to you all. Thank you so much for stopping by making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes, as always, are courtesy of the generous Bobby Mackey, and I am your host, Tessa Morrow. Today, we are visiting gorgeous Australia, the world's sixth largest country, home to the Great Barrier Reef, the Great Dividing Range, animals the size of your baby toe that can, uh, I don't know, kill you, tropical rainforests, and so much more. Oh yeah, and asylums. Tons and tons of asylums. Two of which I will discuss today. In the Rolling Hills stands a structure that was once one of Australia's largest asylums, Beechworth Asylum. Built around 1865, this location went by several names as the years went by. From 1867 to 1905, it was Beechworth Asylum. In 1905 to 1934, it was simply known as the Hospital for the Insane. And guess what, guys? From 1934 to 1967, it gets even simpler and referred to as Mental Hospital. 1967 to 1991, it is known as Mayday Hills Mental Hospital, and it closes its doors in 1995 after 128 years of service as Mayday Hills Psychiatric Hospital. Beechworth is really the name that I know this as besides Mayday, so I will refer to it as Beechworth. At 260 acres, this asylum was one of the largest asylums in Australia, and no shocker here that it was completely self-sufficient, as we see in so many other asylums and institutions of that sort. Filled with farmland, fields, stables, gardens, livestock, and so much more. They also had an entertainment, such as tennis courts, a theater, and what have you. And as we see in many locations, it's a hands-on deal. Beechworth patients were employed here. The men, they would often work as tailors, shoemakers, blacksmiths, farmers, carpenters, painters, etc. As for the women, they worked as seamstresses, knitters, launderers, and much more. Now, there were four classifications for lunacy, paranoia, mania, melancholia, and dementia. Now, two signatures were required to be admitted here. Easy enough, right? What wasn't easy is the getting out part. Once you were here and confined within the ha-ha walls, it was damn near impossible to get out. You needed not one, not two, eight signatures to get out of this asylum. Many came in, tons being forced in, and never came out again. And it wasn't just at Beechworth. One third of all patients in Australia's asylums never saw the outside again. Before Beechworth was built, the patients were confined in the town's jail. So they literally were inmates. You've heard me mention 
these people being inmates in other asylum episodes, these guys were actually inmates in a jail. Like, oh my god. Now, it wasn't all bad here. They actually built a nurse training school and an adjacent nurse's home in the 1960s. And in addition to this, in 1964, several of the wards were renovated and turned into different training centers where they trained well over 200 people with intellectual disabilities. The asylum had, at its peak, 500 staff members and housed 1,200 patients. 600 men and 600 women. <laughs> Many of the asylums here in Australia had what are known as ha-ha walls. The name is thought to come from the son of Louis XIV of France when his governess stops him from approaching a wall in fear that he may fall and get injured. His response? Ha-ha! <laughs> is this what I'm supposed to be afraid of? The United States' first president, George Washington, referred to them as ha-ha walls or a deer wall. It served a great purpose at many of the asylums like Beechworth, Kew Asylum, Parkside Lunatic Asylum, Yara Bend Asylum, all obviously here in Australia. They allowed the patients to have a gorgeous, picturesque view of their surroundings outside without the feel of imprisonment and confinement but they were unable to escape. A short wall on their side, but if you look over, uh, it's pretty steep. That would be a pretty long fall, and uh, it would hurt. John Percival, grandfather to the Prime Minister Spencer Percival, puts it nicely, quote, What adds to the beauty of this garden is that it is not bounded by walls, but a ha-ha which leaves you the sight of the beautiful woody country and makes you ignorant how far the high-planted walks extend. In 1951, a fire erupts in a male wing. The Herald reports, quote, 400 male patients, many naked, were rescued from Beechworth Asylum today, minutes before a fire caused the blazing top story of the mental hospital to collapse. Eleven patients escaped into the surrounding mountains. Seven were later captured before, described as not dangerous, are still at large. Unquote. Speaking of fires, one of the former patients has a fiery past. Jim Kelly burns down his sister-in-law's house to the ground. His nephew, Ned Kelly, who later go on to become a bush ranger, a gang leader and an outlaw and a murderer of a police officer, escapes the fire without any injuries. Well, that's too bad. While he managed to escape the fire, he could not escape the deadly clutches of the executioner as he is executed via hanging. As for Jim, part of his sentence for burning the house down was being sent to help build the asylum. He eventually went crazy here and would spend the rest of his life at Beechworth, dying in 1903 and is actually buried at the cemetery. In the 1980s, the asylum patients' remains were all exhumed and reburied in a separate location of the cemetery, separating them from the town's citizens, as in life now forever in death. Eh, speaking of death, many have breathed their last breaths here. One woman said no to a fellow patient when he demanded she fork over those cigarettes. She says no, and guess what? She paid with that for her life. The disgruntled patient 
hell-bent on getting those cigarettes, no matter what the cost, throws the poor woman out of a window, falling to her death. Many who've actually have come here and explored the property grounds claim to have seen the body of a woman laying on the ground. And this is the area where she was found so many years ago, lying there. The story goes that one patient, a man, disappeared one day. An extensive search was conducted, but weeks go by with not a morsel of a clue surfacing. Well, you know, that changes when one day a local dog named Max is seen chewing on a rather large item. When people approach the dog, to their horror, they see that it is an actual human leg that old good Max is chewing on. Seems like the male patient is no longer missing. They searched the grounds, and it's said that they found the rest of the missing man's body up in a tree. Now, it's believed, not known for sure, but believed that this man was attempting to escape, and while doing so, he got stuck in the tree. This man is believed to haunt the asylum grounds. And he's not alone. Beechworth is considered to be an extremely active location, maybe one of the most haunted, or one of them at least, in Australia. The Gravilla Wing was home to electroshock therapy treatment, and people who dare to enter claim to get ice cold, and just this weird sensation running through their bodies. And one of the wards, long since demolished, used to have a resident spirit of a doctor who would roam the halls. And he's not the only staff member here. A nurse named Matron Sharp is known to lurk about. Many are believed to be here still, forever working. That would suck. A beloved gardener, a man named Arthur, he passes away. He always used to wear this green jacket. Summer or winter, hot or cold, it didn't matter. This man, Arthur, was always in that jacket. When he died, it was discovered that sewed within the seams of the jacket was basically his like life savings, about 140 pounds. In life, he spent so much time in the asylum's garden, a place that he truly cherished and felt at home. We all have that kind of place, right? That, that place that as soon as we go, we're just like, ah, you know? And it's believed that in death, he continues to care after his garden. A little girl has been known to approach people and wander throughout the asylum. In 2015, a paranormal investigator sees the apparition of a young girl kneeling in the dark in one of the asylum wings. Is this the same girl who approaches people? Possibly. And some folks have claimed to see the face of an elderly gentleman looking out a window. One visitor came with her son and noticed he was acting very strange. It looked like he was talking to himself and just not ordinary behavior from this child. And when asked, he told his concerned mother that he was talking to a little boy named James, who told the living child that he lived here at the asylum. Many who come here have reported hearing loud bangs, footsteps approaching when no one else is around, and some experience the unfortunately phantom smell of rotting flesh. In southwest Victoria, about three hours outside of Melbourne, we find ourselves on top of a hill, once known as Mad Man's Hill. Now, this is where our second asylum is, Aradel Asylum. 
a place where lobotomies and electroshock were the absolute norm. Constructed in 1864, it opens the next year, and in 1866, the guardhouse is built. It shuts its doors in 1993, I believe, and after the asylum days are gone, it does house female prisoners during the renovation of Dame Phyllis Frost Center. And like its sister, Asylum Beechworth, it was completely self-sufficient, having a piggery, several orchards and gardens and a market and even vineyards. Nice glass of wine with your dinner. There we go. Now, this place was massive and had close to 70 buildings. At the busiest of times, they had 500 employees. As in all asylums, many people, they did die here. Over 13,000 inmates, patients, and staff have passed away here at Aradell. In 1912, one of the doctors here, he commits suicide by swallowing cyanide while in his office. People who have came to visit oftentimes will experience an odd, bitter taste in their mouth while they're walking past an area where his old office used to be. Then we have Dr. William Mullins. Quote, a sensation was caused at the Ararat Hospital, that's what they also used to call it, for the insane this morning, when Dr. William L. Mullen, the medical superintendent of the institution, was found dead in bed. The cause of death is supposed to be suicide by prussic acid poisoning. It appears that a dog was howling outside the superintendent's residence, and he asked Dr. R.G. Naylor to get some prussic acid to poison the animal. Sounds like such a nice guy. Dr. Naylor did not do so, and Dr. Mullen went into the surgery himself yesterday afternoon and got a bottle, a label being placed on it by Dr. Naylor. Last night, Dr. Mullen was playing cards with a young woman who was looking after his residence in his wife's absence and retires to bed at 12.30. When the housekeeper called in this morning with a cup of hot milk for Dr. Mullen, she found him dead in bed. An inquest will be held tomorrow. Dr. Mullen was a graduate at Melbourne University, at which he had a brilliant career. For a time, he was acting asylum superintendent at the Kew Asylum. About 18 months ago, he was transferred to Ararat, practically at his own request. Dr. Mullen lost his wife, to who he was greatly attached about 15 months ago, and about three weeks earlier, he married again. Now, Dr. Mullen was only 51 years old, pretty young, and horrible that he killed himself, and his new bride and him, they weren't married even a whole month. Talk about a short honeymoon. Very, very sad. In 1886, George Fidemont, the last governor of the jail, was at the asylum conducting a tour to some of the visitors. Everything is going swell until they begin to descend the stairs. Without notice or warning, Governor Fidemont falls hard to his knees and he suffers a major fatal heart attack right there before the shocked people's eyes. These days, tour guides and tourists will experience hearing loud banging sounds and heavy footsteps in the stairwell when no one else is around. Is poor George reliving his last moments on Earth and then his death? Another resident spirit here is Nurse Carrie, known to haunt the women's ward. She's not alone here. Her and other nurses' full-bodied apparitions have been seen wandering throughout the halls and throughout the ward. 
always in their complete old-time nurse uniforms, often disappearing into the stone walls. And besides seeing the apparitions, people who come in this ward will experience a weird sensation to when they get close to the electroshock therapy room. And the sounds of women's high heels can be heard clicking away in the hall, along with the soft voice of a woman. Many believe this to be the nurse Carrie. Another active location is the J Ward, believed to be haunted by three inmates who were hanged here long ago. The J Ward was originally used as the county jail. So there you go. It's like, why were these people hanged in the asylum? They are aggressive and have been known to push people, shove them, scratch, and even bite. Like, ouch. It's said that these men don't even have head markers to where they're buried. Just three simple scratches on the wall. This asylum is home to another aggressive spirit, Gary Webb. He was a career criminal with a lengthy rap sheet that would make Al Capone look like a little teddy bear. Now, maybe I'm exaggerating on that last bit, but Gary was a bad dude for sure. He finds himself in Aradell after he robs a pizza shop. And while getting away, he shoots a police officer who luckily survives the incident. While locked up, Gary begins to write these horrific letters to the media outlets, basically sharing evil plans on what he has planned to do when he gets out. And that people better be careful because, you know, there's going to be some pain coming their way. Uh, oh, okay. So doing this, he obviously seals his own fate. The authorities are notified by concerned citizens and media. His letters are revealed and a law is passed which will keep Gary Webb in Aradell for the rest of his life. And thank God, people like that don't deserve second chances. I'm sorry. I know there are some people out there who are just like, every single person deserves it. No, no. This dude? No. And it's obvious he was counting the days till he could hurt others again. No thanks, bro. When he is told the big fat no, that he will never see the light of day again, he begins to severely self-mutilate himself, even going as far as castrating himself a number of times. Today, it's thought that he haunts his old room. Many have claimed to have seen his full-bodied apparition and this aggressive, violent man in life. No doubt is the same in death. He has been known to yell at people and gets very physical by pushing them out of his room. He's very protective over that room. And some who visit here have experienced growing very ill and quite suddenly. You know, you're feeling great, you're on top of the world, you're at this awesome location, investigating or doing a tour or whatever you're doing, you're there. And all of a sudden you just boom, like a ton of bricks, nausea hits you. And that's the worst feeling. It's like, oh my God, am I going to throw up all over these people? You know, um, people have heard sounds that they cannot explain, disembodied voices, and people have even fainted there. Now, during renovation between 1997 to 2001, several workers reported hearing loud bangs, objects moving on their own, while others would disappear and be found later in locations that they should not have been in. These are just two asylums that are haunted in Australia. There are so many others. Australia is such a gorgeous place and it's always been on my bucket list. And from time to time, I do see Australia towns and cities popping up and 
you know, I would love to go there sometime. I really would. I'd love to go and check out Beechworth and Aridale and other locations too. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? Really? There's no need to cry? Just head on over to any of those awesome podcast platforms such as Spotify, Player FM, Podcast Republic, CastBox, wherever you may roam to listen to your other podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowess podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts goes to Chatelet, France, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Baldwinsville, New York, Mendenville, Arkansas, and Eagle Mountain, California. Amazing, each and every one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by. Do you have a spooky location you want to hear about in a future episode? How about a voiceover? Find me on Paranormal Prowlers podcast page on Facebook and tell me all about it. I love suggestions and recommendations, so throw them my way, seriously. And we will see you next week.